It is an honor to be with you today. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Greenway, for having me. I literally was planning on saying the same thing about him when I came up here. Every time I have met and spent time with Dr. Greenway, I walked away being more and more impressed with this man, having the intellect that he does and the humility at the same time that he does is rare, and we were in good hands here at Southwestern. Uh, if you're considering Southwestern, um, you, this, this is the place you need to be, Masters of Divinity. Um, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up today to the book of 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 will be there in just a minute. I want to begin by reading a quote from famous preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says, many books in my li library are behind and beneath me. They were good in their way once. And so were the clothes I wore when I was 10 years old. But I've outgrown them. Nobody ever outgrows the scripture. Book widens and deepens with every one of our years. It is today what it was generations ago, a balm for every wound and a salve for every sore. Isn't that good? The word of God is living and it's active. It really is. And that's proven itself to me over and over and over again, not only in my own life, but in my preaching. They asked me today to speak on the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God in preaching. I was at a crossroads, gosh, 20 years ago. Um, I was planning a church in Austin, Texas. Austin is the liberal capital of the state of Texas. It's a little piece of San Francisco, right in the middle of the state of Texas, and I was parachuting in in 2002 to plant a church there. And when I planted the, the Austin Stone, the seeker-friendly preaching movement was in full swing. Um, that, that was back in the day when Saddleback and Willow Creek and North Point, all of which are great churches, but they were teaching and teaching in an international way that topical preaching was the way that we should preach. All the... Uh, more successful preachers of the day were doing what I would call topical preaching. And I would define topical preaching this way. This is just my definition. Topical preaching is when the preacher has something that he wants to say, when he's got a word. And so he goes to the scripture and he picks and chooses scriptures to support what it is that he has to say. That's topical preaching. Now, this is in opposition to expositional preaching, which is an expositional preaching. You go to the word of God first and you see what it is that God has already said. And then I use my life and my story and my words and my illustrations to support what it is that God has already said. And so as a young preacher going into this liberal city, I was at a crosswords, uh, crossroads. Which way was I going to preach? Was I going to preach topical preaching like so many of the famous preachers of the day were doing? Or was I going to preach expositional preaching like so few preachers of the day did? On top of that, I had so many friends telling me, so many friends in the ministry that were telling me, they were saying, Matt, you can't go into a city like Austin, Texas and preach the Bible verse by verse and expect to grow a church. Well, they were wrong, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But here's the thing. I, I heard that, 
successful preachers preaching topically, men I trusted telling me there's no way I could preach the Bible verse by verse. But I had had um, some history with men preaching the Bible. Uh, when I was in college, University of Texas A&M University, I, um, I went to, I got saved and I went to a church called Central Baptist. It was pastored by Chris Osborne, who's now the uh, professor of preaching and pastoral ministries here at Southwestern. For, I remember clearly the first day I went to church there, I had just gotten saved. This man walks up in the pulpit, first words out of his mouth were open your Bibles to the book of John. Chapter four, I believe it was. I didn't know at the time, but he didn't preach out of an English Bible like you and I do. The man preached from the Greek New Testament from the stage and preached verse by verse my entire four years that I was at Texas A&M. And it profoundly changed my life. I had never heard anointed preaching of God's word. And it profoundly changed profoundly changed me. By the way, all four years I was at A&M, Chris Osborne was in the book of John. <clears throat> so I had this crossroads. What was I going to do? So I decided, I'll tell you, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to actually go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about preaching and make my decision off of that. So I went to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, found this. Let's read it together. I believe I'm in uh, the New American Standard here. Paul said, as he wrote to the book, or excuse me, to the church in Corinth, he said, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. That verse made a profound impact on me. I want to walk those verses, I want to walk through them very quickly this morning, help us get a picture of what got me to the place where I am convinced that as teachers of God's word, preachers of God's word, whether you're a missionary in an unreached people group, whether you're a pastor here in Texas, we need to be preaching and teaching God's word because it, and it alone has authority. 1 Corinthians 2.1, let's look at it. Paul said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. And so when, when Paul came to this church and he's talking about preaching, he's talking about proclaiming to them the testimony of God, there was a way Paul said that he did not do it. There was a way he said he did not do those things. He says, here's what I did not do. I did not come to you with superiority of speech. I, did, I didn't come to you preaching with superior wisdom. And so what he's saying, and I think this is key, is that when he preached the testimony of God, he did not try to persuade people to follow Jesus with human power and human tools. He did not try to talk people into following Christ with superior speech and an amazing rhetorical ability and superior human wisdom. Now, as I read that, 
as a young preacher, those were absolutely critical words for me to hear. And I'll tell you why, because as a young preacher, I think I was 27, 28 years old at the time, moving into this crazy city, planning a church where there was a 90% failure rate of church planners. I had this pressure that I put on myself. I felt like at the time that when I got up to preach in front of all these Austinites, I felt the pressure to say something that would dazzle the congregation. As a young preacher, I felt the pressure to, um, to say things that were so intellectually stimulating that people would flood the aisles and give their lives to Christ. But Paul said, that's not how I preach. That's not where I was concerning myself. He said, I don't preach with superiority of speech or with superior human wisdom. Okay, so that begs the question, how does he preach? How did he preach? He tells us in verse 2. He begins and he says this, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, look, when I came to you, I didn't come with superior speech. I didn't come to you with superior human wisdom. He says, when I came to you, this is what I preached. I preached Jesus. I preached Jesus Christ in him crucified. Now, when he said, I'm determined to know nothing among you, but Christ in him crucified, I don't think he's saying that he is leaving aside all other knowledge, but what I am convinced he's saying is that the gospel and its message of a crucified Messiah was the central theme and was the central aim of his preaching. I think what Paul's saying here is that when you stand in the pulpit, or when you preach the word of God in any shape, form, or fashion, I think what he's saying here is that when you do that, when you teach, somebody is going to be the star of that sermon. Somebody's going to be the star of that sermon. And it's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be you. When you preach, somebody's going to be exalted. When you preach, somebody's going to be highlighted. And the question becomes, is the star of your sermon, is the star of your teaching going to be Jesus or is it going to be you? And make no mistake, there is a way that you can preach. I've seen it over and over and over again. There's a way that you can preach where people walk out of that time thinking about how great you are and not thinking about how great Jesus is. And I'm starting to see more and more and more of that in preaching today. You listen to guys preach and you get the sense, I get the gnawing sense that that preacher is a lot more concerned with you being impressed with him than he is you being impressed with Jesus. Paul said, when I preach, I don't want to highlight me. I don't want to exalt me. I want to highlight Jesus. And as a young preacher, that, again, made a profound impact on me. I made a decision right then and there that when I preach, I want to preach in such a way where people don't walk out of there talking about how great a preacher I was. I want them walking out of there thinking about how great the person of Jesus Christ is. And so to this day, to this day, whenever I'm preparing a sermon and when, whenever I'm about to walk in 
to the pulpit, there's one prayer I pray every time I just did it, sitting right down there by Dr. Greenbaum. Every single time I've preached since then, I pray this prayer. It's simple. I say, Jesus, through my preaching, I want your name to be exalted over my name. Pray it every time. Jesus, I want your name to be exalted over my name. Now, Paul continues. He tells us how he preaches. He begins in verse 2. says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's saying this is the aim. This is the goal of my preaching to exalt the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 3, he says something interesting. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul said, I didn't come to you with lofty speech superior of, of wisdom. He said, when I came to you, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and in trembling. Now check this out. I'm convinced that because the verse that precedes that one and the verse that follows that one is spe specifically talking about the context of preaching. I'm convinced here, I could be wrong. There's a lot of seminary professors in the room, but I'm convinced he's talking about the condition of our hearts and what they should be as we teach the Word of God. He's saying that it needs to be weakness and fear and trembling. In other words, he's talking about humility. You know, um, back at, uh, when I was at Austin Stone, I believe it was 2010, 2011, I had the privilege of meeting a young man named Colt McCoy. Colt was the quarterback, four-year starter at the University of Texas. Um, Came in second to Heisman, almost won the national championship, ended, to, ended up getting hurt, and he's still in the NFL to this day. In his senior year, he approached me one day after church. He went to the Austin Stone. He said, Pastor, I'd like for you to consider mentoring me my senior year. And I, I said yes. And so we began to meet on a weekly basis once a week, and we talked about all kinds of things. He's an amazing young man. And one of the things that I realized is that if we were – if we were to talk about marriage, because he was, he was engaged, and we were to talk about marriage, we had a lot in common. If we were to talk about how to um, study the Word of God, we had everything in common. If we were to talk about how to deal with uh, criticism from the public, we had a lot in common. Pretty much everything we talked about, we had a ton in common, except when we talked about our work. He's a football player, and I'm a preacher. And I was talking about how the mindset and the heart condition that I had to have when I walked into the pulpit being one of humility. He said something I've never forgotten. He said, Matt, I'm the total opposite of that. He said, when I walk onto that football field, he said, Matt, I have to get my mind right. He said, when I walk on that football field, I have to have a mindset that I am the biggest, baddest toughest, meanest guy on the field. He said, if I don't, I get killed. I realize that is the exact opposite of how we walk onto our field, if you will. It's the exact opposite. We have to enter into the pulpit with fear and with trembling and with humility. Now, I'm not saying you don't preach with power and authority, but what I am saying is that you preach with a deep realization that your power and your authority does not come from you. It comes from this book right here that I hold in my hands. And that will produce humility every single time. So the first thing I pray before I preach 
every time. Say, Jesus, I want your name to be exalted over my name. And there's another prayer that I pray every single time before I walk into the pulpit. And I pray, Lord, I just want to confess to you today that apart from you right now, I can do nothing. My power to do what I'm about to do comes from you and it comes from your word. And then I walk into the pulpit. I think this is huge. I think what Paul's saying about coming in fear and trembling, I think it's huge for us as a culture. I've seen so many sermons lately where the the guy gets up into the pulpit and he comes up and in a braggadocious way starts talking about, I have a word from God. Let's go knock your socks off, put your seatbelt on. Because I have a word today and there's a There's an arrogance about him when he preaches. I see it so often and that concerns me. Because if if you're ever around a preacher of God's word and there is a consistent air of arrogance about him, something is wrong. Something's off. Because he says he's got a word from the Lord. Last time I read this book, pretty much every time somebody got a word from the Lord, Every time somebody got in the presence of God, they did not walk out of there arrogant. They walked out of there after hitting the floor and realizing their complete unworthiness before God. And so if a man walks into a pulpit and he's strutting like a peacock, I I think you run as fast as you can. Um, Pastor John Bassanio. Y'all know John Bassanio? He's the longtime pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church. And when I was actually going to Southwestern Houston Extension Campus, he was one of my professors. And he said something to me one time that stuck. I've never, ever forgotten it. I hope you don't ever forget it either. He said, gentlemen, whenever you are in a church and in that church, or in the preaching of the pastor of that church, every single time you see man being exalted over Jesus, if you listen closely, you can hear the hiss of the serpent. Never forgotten that. When it comes to preaching, when it comes to a church, whenever you see man being exalted over Jesus, if you listen closely, you can hear the hiss of the serpent. And that's why Paul said, When I came to you, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, I did that in humility, with fear, and with trembling. Now, in the next verse, verse 4, he tells us why. He wanted to decrease. Why in the preaching event he wanted to get out of the way. Look at verse 4. He said, and my message and my preaching. And so he's talking about his preaching now. There's a way he didn't preach. Now he's talking about the way that he did preach. He said, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That had a big impact on me. Because what Paul is saying here is that there's a way that you can preach that will not bring forth a demonstration of the power of God. There's a way you can preach that will not elicit the Spirit's power in your preaching. And then he's saying, look, there is a way that you can preach that will bring forth the power of the Spirit of God. 
And so let me ask you guys a question. What words does the scripture say are inspired by the Spirit and therefore possess the power of the Spirit? Are they your words or is it God's words? It's God's word. It's it's not going to be. Teachers and preachers hear this. Let yourself off the hook. I struggled with it for so long. It will not be your words, and it will not be your stories. It will not be your clever illustrations. It will not be your amazing rhetorical ability or your application that possesses the power to change a human life. There is only one way. There is only one way that you can guarantee that your preaching will possess the power of God, and that's when you are preaching the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. It's the only guarantee that you have. And then he transitions to verse 5. He tells us at last what's at stake when we preach. What's at stake if you preach in your wisdom and in your amazing ability? Or what's at stake when you preach the foundation of it being God's Word and possessing the power of the Holy Spirit of God He says, verse 4, he says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. I'm going to tell you guys, when I read that as a young pastor, that verse freaked me out. That verse scared me, honestly. And if you're a preacher and you hear that, it doesn't scare you, you got a problem. Because what it showed me is that the faith of your congregation, the faith of your people are going to rest on one of two foundations. The faith of your congregation, the faith of your people is going to rest on the foundation of your wisdom, your intellect, and your persuasive words, or their faith is going to rest on the power of Almighty God. There's a way that you can preach where your people's, the foundation of your people's faith is going to be your wisdom and your speaking ability, or there's a way you can preach where the foundation of your people's faith is going to be the power of Almighty God. Chris Osborne said something years ago. It was when I was in college. He said this. He said, if a man persuades you to follow Jesus, then a man can persuade you not to follow Jesus. He said, but if your faith is built on the power of God and the word of God, no man will ever be able to persuade you not to follow Jesus. And the, Amazingly true words. And so as I read those scriptures, guys, I want you to know that I was convinced about how I was, how I was supposed to preach. And so on the very first Sunday of the Austin Stone, December 2nd, 2002, with this book right here, this Bible that I hold in my hands, I walked into the pulpit, and I did this intentionally. I didn't say hi. It's first Sunday. I didn't say, hey, welcome to Austin Stone. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I didn't say any of that. The very first words that I spoke from the pulpit at the Austin Stone Community Church were open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. 
And I read the words, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And for four and a half years, I preached the gospel of John in the most liberal city in the state of Texas. And then after that, I preached verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. And then after that, I preached verse by verse through Genesis. And then after that, I preached verse by verse through Mark. And then after that, I preached verse by verse through Exodus. And uh, then we went into First Peter, and then we went into Matthew, and you guys get the point, and I want you to understand something, that God blessed that church in ways that I could have never dreamed He did. Why? It's not because of my power. It's not because of my ability. Because I'm not that powerful of a preacher. But the content of my preaching is the most powerful thing on this planet. And that was the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And you know, if there's ever been a time, if there's ever been a time in, in my life that I can remember that we need to have our people's faith resting on a foundation of the power of God is right now. It's right now. You can go online and you can find some preacher, some teacher to justify anything you want to do. You struggle with same-sex attraction, you want to get married, you can find a big-name preacher that they will say that's just fine. You want to allow your child that's five years old to decide what gender they want to be. You can find a well-named preacher that will give you justification for why that's okay. If there's ever been a time in our lives where our people's faith needs to rest not on man's wisdom, but the power of God. It's right now. I, you know, every generation has thought that their generation was going to be the the last generation in times before Jesus came back. And I've always just kind of blown that off. But man, it's getting kind of crazy out there, folks. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famine. It's all happening right now. If there's ever been a time where our people's faith needs to rest on the power of God, it's right now. And if, you, if your people's faith is resting on the foundation of your wisdom, you are doing them a dire disservice. And so regardless of where you teach, where you preach, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's in a youth room, a counseling room, or in a crazy place somewhere around the world in the foreign mission field, you ask yourself this question, do I preach the wisdom of men or do I preach the word? I'll leave you with the words of Paul from 2 Timothy 4, where he said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for its power. And I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for this seminary 
that points their students to the authority of your word. May we be a people that preaches your word until the day you call us home. I ask that in Jesus' name.